0: Hey, welcome to Victory Church. So excited to have you here. Uh, and especially all of our family watching online as well. Let me give a couple of quick announcements before we jump in today. First of all, if you're visiting with us in person or you're visiting with us online, we want to ask you to connect with us today, and you can do that by texting a number to a number, okay? Texting VICTORY18 to 31996. So if you've never done this before, in the uh, number part where you're sending in a text, put the 31996, and then in the content, the message part, put VICTORY18, send that, We'll send back to you a digital connection card. Fill that out for us. There's some boxes you can check from uh, I just got saved to I'm interested in baptism, dream team, you know, all kinds of different things. And then there's a box for other that will drop down where you can ask any question that you might have, and we'll reach out to you in the middle of the week and just try to connect and answer your questions. And I, I've been saying this over the past couple of weeks. One of our passions here at Victory is just to move you to your next step. And so I said, I think it was last week that anybody who comes to church for more than one Sunday, I understand if we show up one Sunday because a friend asked us and then we never come back. But, but when you come frequently, you have a desire to get connected. You have a desire to continue to move forward, learning more, meeting people. I was talking to somebody this week who said, I just want to meet more people. And, and there's an the opportunity to do that. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Text that number, uh, that'll come to you. You can fill that out. And then we'll do our best at getting you involved in your next step. Also, After the message, if you uh, receive Christ as your Savior today, I want to ask you to do that as well and mark that and we would be able to contact you and help you with any next steps. Cool? Uh, A couple other things. If you're interested in giving, we, we do three ways to give here at Victory. You can do it online through our website or our app, you can actually text to give, which will be coming up on the screen, or as you're uh, leaving, if you're here in person today, as you're leaving, right in that little lobby area, there's a black box, so if you're wanting to give check or cash, you can do it that way. Uh, It's just our way of trying to make it uh, contactless and as safe as possible during the season for you to be able to give. Also, if you have any questions about giving, text that number, ask your question, and we can answer that as well. We've had a few people talk about Growth Track as we've been signing up. We've had a lot of people join our dream team, and we've been telling them, hey, go ahead and join the dream team. And then once we get Growth Track up and running, we'd encourage you to come back and do Growth Track. Growth Track is your opportunity to learn about what we believe, the culture of victory, the theology of victory, all these different things. And so I'm excited to announce we're getting ready to get it back going, and we're going to do a one Sunday event on May 16th, okay? So May 16th, immediately following church, we'll have Growth Track. There'll be some snacks in there. And so, if you're wanting to attend, if you, if you are serving and you haven't attended, if you've been asking us about Growth Track, that's your opportunity. May 16th, we'll launch it. And then we'll see how that goes and we'll go from there. But I just wanna encourage you to put that in your calendar. In case you don't know, May 9th is Mother's Day. Yeah. Right? There we go, we got one. All right, brand new mom is like, you better believe it. I, know I want some gifts and I want everything. So, May 9th is Mother's Day. All the men right now are like, oh, I gotta get something. Oh, goodness. Um, and then May 16th is Growth Track. Sunday. Cool? All right, you excited? All right, here we go. We are in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're studying through the book of Acts in our series called Believe. I want to encourage you to get a journal, get something to write on. You want to be able to take notes during this series. I Also, I don't know if I've mentioned it from the, from the stage recently, so I want to do that. If you go on our website, there's an opportunity that says join the journey. You can click that button, you put your email in, and then what I do is in the middle of the week, I send you a study guide for the previous chapter we were in, and so it comes with questions. I do give the answers to the questions, but the questions are set up to where you could try to answer it yourself first. Um, it's kind of like school, you try to answer it yourself, and if you're not sure if it's the right answer, go look at the answers, you know what I mean? Um, and there's, there's more content Um, And different things to just kind of help you go deeper in that chapter because I only have, you know, two and a half hours to preach on Sunday. So I got to be able to get, I'm just kidding. Those of you are like, we got to go, bro. Um but I only get about 30, 45 minutes, and so, you know, trying to give you all the content that I can in that time, but it gives you the opportunity to study more. So, all right, Acts chapter 3, if you got your Bibles, if you got your paper Bibles, turn there. If you got your phone, turn there. You can actually just Google Acts 3. It'll pop up in probably Bible Gateway. If you have the Victory Church app, I encourage you to do that. You can look at both the scriptures and the notes for the sermon today on the app, Okay. So Acts 3, we've been talking about Acts and the aspect that Christ is resurrected. He's now ascended into heaven, and the disciples are now acting out the commissioning that Christ has put on their life, the same commissioning that Christ has put on our life, which is to share the gospel and to go and make disciples. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1 is where we'll begin today. It says, one day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So this was a Jewish custom to go pray around that time. Peter and John are still doing that. So they're headed to the temple to pray three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth, which meant since he was born, he could not walk, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, hey, look at us. When I read that, I imagined the dude from uh, the the Tom Hanks movie, look at me, look at me, I'm the captain now. You remember that? Okay, all right, just a little, maybe not. I need to keep my mouth shut. Uh, Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. I want to talk to you for just a few moments today from the idea of begging for change. I want to do it in the context, I want to do a play on the words. I'm not so much talking about money as much as I am actual change, begging for change, whether it's change around us or change inside of us, we're begging. For change. When I was about 18 years old, I just graduated high school. Brian Hogwood and I got a, a full time job at the church in Memphis as the janitors. That was our job, okay? So we were responsible for cleaning the toilets and that whole thing. Apparently, 17 years later, however long, I'm still cleaning toilets. So, you know, guys, that's how God works. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Um, sarcastic people. Um, and so, I'm kidding. And so we were working at the church and one of our responsibilities was to clean the auditorium, okay? So we had to go in and clean the sanctuary and the sanctuary was about a 2,500 seat sanctuary and it had pews, okay? Not chairs, but pews. And so, I mean, we had to go in with like our fingers and rake in between the pews, had to get it all out. It was crazy. So one day we're in there working um, and we, they let us work together, which was their mistake right off the bat, but we're working together. And then out of nowhere, this gentleman comes walking into the sanctuary that we didn't know. Now, our church was located in a very poor part of Memphis, okay? And so the guy comes walking in. He walks straight up to us. Brian and I don't know who he is, and we've been involved long enough that we should have known who he was. He walked in, walked straight up to us, and he gave us this story that was so heart-wrenching. He was homeless. He had his daughter in their car. They had been living out of their car. Something had happened. I can't remember the details, but I'm just telling you, by the time he was done telling the story, Brian and I were like, what do you need? We'll give you whatever you need. Now, let me preface this. Brian and I had been saved and were living for Christ. Had he met us pre-Christ, we probably wouldn't have cared too much about what he was going through. But because now we were Christians and we were trying to live like Jesus, this, this concerned us. And so we started figuring out what we could do and he had some lunch money and I had some lunch money and we weren't getting paid a lot of money to be the janitors, but we had some money. And so we talked and we said, here's the plan. So let's put our money together and then we can give him majority of it and then we'll take a little bit of it and just go to like a 99-cent menu somewhere and just get a couple of 99-cent cheeseburgers, and therefore he can, you know, be able to provide lunch for his daughter or whatever the situation was. So we did that. We said, hey, man, we got an idea. So we got our money out, we put it together, and we gave him the majority of it, and we had like three or four bucks left, and we went to McDonald's or something and got us a cheeseburger. And it was, it was amazing. We felt so great about it. We were like, God, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. We're awesome. You know, and then they were like, go back and sweep the floor. And we were like, okay, you know, and so... um. A couple of days go by, and in the back of the church, there were just a couple of outside basketball goals that they had set up so that you know, we could all play ball outside. So a few days go by. It's in the evening we're out, or in the afternoon. We're out there playing basketball, and this car pulls up, and we all stop because we don't know what's about to go down. We do live in Memphis. And so we put the ball down, and we're looking, and the door opens up, and it's that guy. And I'm like, in my mind, I don't know what Brian was thinking, but in my mind, I'm thinking, this is awesome. This guy has gotten you know, a better off situation. And he remembered that we sacrificed ourselves to be able to bless him, and he has come all the way back to the church to repay us the $12 or whatever it is that we gave him. Ain't God good? And he walked up, I mean, he was walking straight for me, and I was like, this is crazy. All my friends are about to see this. It's going to turn into a testimony. This is awesome. And he walked straight up to me, and he said, hey, man. And he went into the same exact story that he had just told us a couple days I'm talking word for word. I thought I was being pranked for a second. You know what I mean? I'm just like, you don't, because, you know, Brian's here and I'm here. I'm like, you don't remember, like, it's us. You, you just told us that story. And so I sat there quietly for a second, and when we sprung that news on him, he, he literally turned around, jetted to his car, and jetted off. And it was such an interesting experience because, number one, it was very uncomfortable. But I think about it so much because I think about pre-Jesus Troy and post-Jesus Troy And it's for some reason, as I find Christ and am operating in the Holy Spirit, there is this sense of awareness more for change around me. The book of Acts is showing us the church in action. And it's no coincidence that Peter and John find themselves more aware of the need for change around them. When you choose to follow Jesus, When you start to operate as a Christ follower, when you become the church in action, I'm telling you, you will automatically become more sensitive and more aware to the areas around you and in you that need change. Let me give you some context of what's happening in Acts chapter 3. There's the temple, which would have been like their church, and around the temple was this gate, or I'm sorry, were these walls, and you know huge walls, concrete walls, whatever they were made out of, and they, they, they stopped people from being able to get into the temple, just anybody being able to get in the temple. and It was brought together by this gate. In this particular temple, the gate was called Beautiful. According to theologians, the gate stood 75 feet tall. Could you imagine that? This seven you know why they call it beautiful now is a seventy five feet tall gate that, that that came in the middle with this wall that surrounded the temple of the Lord and right outside of the gate is where the poor and the blind and the lame would gather and they would come there to beg for money they weren 't allowed to come into the temple, but they were allowed to set out there and expect people to give them money and the crowd grew because just like today, people who are in need often expect those that are Christ followers or religious to help them, right? It's kind of the same reputation today that when people need help, they tend to go to you know, a church or, or especially somebody who knows God because there's just that concept that if you are living for Jesus, there'll be a desire in you to be able to help change dysfunctional situations. But I bet this beggar didn't know he was gonna become famous. You know what I mean? Like the day he's begging, he had no idea that he'd be recorded because he's a real person, just because we don't have his name doesn't mean he's some kind of you know, scenario. He's an actual human being. But his story goes on, and we're talking about him thousands of years later because of what happened in Acts chapter 3. And here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to change, when it comes to the change that you need to have happen inside of you, and when it comes to the change that we want to have happen around us, when it comes to that change... In Acts chapter three, we are about to learn that God will disrupt our comfort in order to confront our dysfunction, okay? I need you to, everybody say this with me. Say, I'm a big person. I messed that up because I didn't know All right, so let's try it like this. If you're a guy, say this, I'm a big boy. Wow, that's very weak. Apparently you're not. Let's try it again. All right, I'm a big boy. All right, girls? Say, I'm a big girl. I'm a big girl. There we go. Okay, you know what, ladies? Here's the deal. I'm, I'm tired of y'all making us look bad. Okay, uh, say this. Say, I can take it. We're about to get real difficult here in a moment with the Scripture, because what we have to understand is that all this change that we're begging for, it can happen, but God is going to disrupt our comfort in order to confront our dysfunction, Let me say it like this. God is also going to disrupt your comfort to confront any dysfunction. So not just the dysfunction in you, but the dysfunction around you. In order for God to address it, guess what? He has to disrupt your comfort. What I love about Acts 3 is we're about to see, through the actions of Peter and John, what they learned about change from following Jesus Christ. Because I can guarantee you that pre-Jesus Peter and pre-Jesus John would have never done what they did in Acts chapter 3. But because they experienced God, something happened. They learned how God deals with change, and so they dealt with it the same way. And here we go. The first thing they did is they learned this, that they have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. Right off the bat, as a Christ follower, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Watch what happens, okay? So it says in Acts chapter 2 verses 3 through 5, where, where he, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3 verses 2 through 5, where he was put every day to beg and then go into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Can I get money? I'm going to explain that in a minute. And it says Peter looked what? Straight at him. It says Peter looked straight at him as did Peter. John. That's going to be important in a moment. And then not only does Peter look straight at him, not only is John looking straight at him, but then he says to the beggar, what? Look at us. Look at us. Now, if we're not careful, we read right over this, and we miss how uncomfortable this situation is. Let me help you understand. We have all been driving down the road and either gotten off the interstate or whatever and pulled up to a red light and there'd be an individual standing to the side with a sign asking for money because of an unfortunate situation, okay? And if you're like me, here's kind of the tension you end up being in. Part of you wants to help them. Part of you understands that that's an unfortunate situation, and you don't like any individual to have to be in a need, so you want to help them. You know you probably have enough money to at least give them food, and so there's a part of you that's trying to figure out, how can I help that individual and meet their need? But then there's this other part of you that starts to go, well, what are they going to do with it? How do I know they're going to actually use it to do what they're saying? Or what happens if I roll down my window, and then as soon as I go to hand them money, traffic starts to move, and now I'm causing traffic to be back up, and I don't like all that kind of attention on me, so then all of a sudden I'm causing wrecks on the interstate. And so you start getting uncomfortable, and what do we do? We just look ahead, right? If I don't make eye contact, right? If I I can just act like I'm on my phone or like, oh, the sky's pretty, then I don't have to make eye contact, and I don't have to deal with the situation, We don't make eye contact because it's what? It's uncomfortable. And it's so specific that Peter and John not only looked at him, but then said, look at me. They were creating an uncomfortable situation because Christ had taught them that in order to experience change, you have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. As followers of Christ, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, We are responsible for looking into the face of situations that everyone else is turning a blind eye to. Whether it's a situation in you, Whether it's a situation in your friend, whether it's a situation at your workplace, whether it's a situation in your community, as Christ followers, we are responsible for looking in the eye the very situations that everybody else is turning a blind eye to. Why? Because if we want to experience change in any area of our life or the world around us, we have to be ready to forfeit our comfort zone. In Jesus' day, it was virtuous to give the beggar money. That was a virtuous thing. This is actually why there was always such a crowd around the temple, because it was a pride thing for you to give money to them. It was a positive. You got to walk in and go, did you see me? Did you see me give that money? It was a virtuous. It was a big thing. of You were awesome if you did that. The more money you gave, the cooler you were, and the beggars knew that, so they went there to get it, but they would walk in the temple all proud and prideful because they had given money, but watch this. As comfortable as it was to give money, as common as it was to give money, it was not common for them to engage it was common to give money but it wasn't common to connect with the beggar so here's what would happen because of that there was no eye contact there was no talking to them and so what would happen is the beggar would just kind of reach their hand out with a cup and and you know, and kind of a generic ask for money you know, can I have money but they wouldn't make eye contact they, they, they could not make eye contact with the person So they would have the cup out. Meanwhile, the individual who's giving would walk by, and they're not making eye contact, but they know where the cup is, so they're able to drop the money, sometimes missing the cup and hitting the ground, but the beggar didn't care. But the point was that they could not have that engagement. They could give money, but they couldn't engage with the individual, right? Which once again shows you the importance of Peter walking by. Imagine this, so good, all right? Peter's walking, another Christian, another you know, person who's going to worship God's fallen. the person who's worshiping God drops the money, and here comes Peter, and this guy says money, and Peter stops and goes, look at me. That would have caused so much discomfort and confusion because that was not what happened. People didn't do that all right? People walked on by. They gave money to it, but they didn't want to talk about it, okay? But when Peter said, whoa, 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 money I don't have, but I do have something that will change you, but you got to look at me first. You got to get uncomfortable first. I got to get uncomfortable first because if you're uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable, change can actually happen, the broken that were sitting at the gate called Beautiful, watch this, were completely comfortable begging, but the discomfort began once they were seen. Everyone likes talking about change, don't we? Everyone loves to beg for change. You know what we need? We need change. Let's get on Facebook and talk about how there should be change. Everybody loves to talk about change. Everybody wants change. But the moment, the moment we decide to acknowledge the actual areas that need change is when we open the door to discomfort. We can talk about it all we want, but it's not until we actually start to see it. And once we see it and acknowledge it, then all of a sudden, here comes discomfort. Am I right? The only way for you and I to remain comfortable is to accept the conditions that are around us, no matter how dysfunctional they are. Meanwhile, knowing that God has so much more for us. The only way for you to stay comfortable in yourself is to be comfortable with the condition of dysfunction that you already have. The only way for you to remain comfortable in our culture is for you to accept the dysfunctional conditions around you. And you can do that, and I can do that, and we can do that, but God is offering so much more to us. I shared last week that our culture is adjusting to be able to kind of support our uh, commitment issues, right? We talked about how we have commitment issues and our culture's actually ch- changing so they can support that. And as I was prepping this week, I thought, you know what? Our culture's also adjusting to support our comfort issues. So not only is it adjusting to help out our commitment issues, but it's adjusting to help out our comfort issues. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, do you remember, those of you, I'm 36 years old, I'll be 37 shortly, um, and, and when I was young, I remember watching TV shows that I didn't get to skip the bad episode. Do y'all remember that? Like, like I'm, I'm watching Survivor recently, and because I'm watching it, streaming it, they get to the recap episode, and the recap episode is where they show you all that's happened in the previous 10 episodes that I've already watched. And so there's this little thing that comes up on my streaming device that says skip. Have y'all seen that? Little skip corner. Or when the show comes on and it's the opening of the show, like you're watching The Office and it's like, and you can just go and skip. I didn't get to do that as a kid. You had to sit there and watch it all, right? You had to watch the boring opener. You had to watch the terrible recap episode. You had to watch the episode that was too serious that you didn't. You had to be uncomfortable and deal with it all. But now we live in a culture where you just, I don't want to watch that episode. Skip. I'm going to go to the end. Skip. When I was listening to music growing up, we bought CDs, right? So young people, a CD, it was like this little disc, a little skinny disc. And and somebody would come out with a CD, right? So uh, <laughs> I try to talk about who I listened to without telling y'all what a sinful person I was. I'm um, juvenile. Leg- juvenile, thanks, appreciate that. So so let's just say let's just say Casey and JoJo, all right? Let's use Casey and JoJo. That's kind of in the middle there. Um, and so Casey and JoJo might come up with one song, and all my life. Anybody remember all my life? All my life, I pray for someone. I'm the Okay. When your wife tells you from the front row to stop, you just stop. Okay, keep going. Thank you. Um, but here was the problem. The CD comes out, and you like two songs on the CD. The other 10 are terrible. But you went to Cat's Music, and you had to what? You had to buy the entire CD, like $15, so you could listen to two songs right? I, was, I remember thinking when I was a kid, like, wouldn't it be great if we could get to a place where I could spend 99 cents on one song? We're so spoiled today. Because then we can walk up and go, you know what? I like that song. I want to listen to it. I don't like that song. I don't want it, right? So we're in this scenario in our culture where we can just create a comfortable environment. Watch this. We can surround ourselves with the people we want to surround ourselves with we can surround ourselves with the comments we want to surround ourselves with. We can surround ourselves with the worldviews we want to surround ourselves with. We are learning how to create this comfortable scenario where all we are is comfortable 100% of the time. We're trying to get to a place where I'm no longer uncomfortable. I don't really want to do that. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm trying to get to a place where I'm just all the time comfortable. But the problem with that is if you're never uncomfortable, then there's never a moment where you think that it's possible that you don't have it all figured out. And then a part where you start to go, well, maybe there's an area in me or an area around me that might need to change. And as long as you are 100% comfortable, you have no desire to change. There's a reason why a baby wants you to change their diaper once (laughs) it's dirty, because they don't want change until they become uncomfortable. Same thing with us. You know, for some of us, speaking the gospel has come to a halt. For some of us, loving our neighbor has come to a halt. Speaking the truth has come to a halt. Seeing people healed and transformed has come to a halt. But it's not because God isn't the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it's not because he's no longer enough. The reason it's come to a halt is, watch this, because being the hands and feet of Jesus is uncomfortable. It comes to a halt because being the, when you and I step out to be the hands and feet of Jesus, it's going to be uncomfortable. You know, Real change is always preceded by a moment of discomfort. One time I broke my arm. Anybody ever broke a, broke a bone before? You broke a bone before? I broke my arm one time, and my mom took me to the hospital or whatever it was, and I got into the room and the doctor person came in, and I had been I had been cradling it the whole time because I broke it. I, I didn't know that I broke it, but I knew I hurt it. And so I'm sitting there cradling it. And the doctor came in. The first thing the doctor said to me was, Can you can you stretch your arm out? And I was like, it's gonna hurt. He was like, stretch your arm out for me. So I stretched my arm out, right? And he said, okay. And then he came over and he started pressing on it. And every time he pressed on it, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I came here to be comforted, and you're making me uncomfortable, <laughs> right? You go to the doctor office. And they want to come. They want to press on things. And here's the clearest day I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, brokenness has to be identified, The reason why that happens is because they have to be able to find brokenness. The reason why we have to be okay being in a place of discomfort is because the Holy Spirit has to identify brokenness. Listen, we all need someone in our life who can point out areas in our life that are in need of change regardless of how uncomfortable it is. Ladies, you need a girlfriend that can tell you that dress don't work for you you know what I mean like it was cute on the mannequin put it back <laughs> it's okay you you need a girlfriend to let you know that's not your shade of fingernail polish those are not your shoes that and this is somebody who'll be honest with you no matter how uncomfortable it is guys we need a friend that's gonna let us know that we're being a jerk that she's right we're wrong that you aren't the best steak cooker you know what I mean like like, we need some friends that are going to let us know, hey, you're not as great as you think you are. We all need people in our life that no matter how uncomfortable, and listen to me, if you are one of those people who you have nobody in your life who can say to you, you're wrong, you need to change that. Some of y'all are mad at somebody right now, and the reason you're mad at them is because they made you uncomfortable by telling you the truth. They told you the truth and you're mad at them. Hear me. The truth does set us free, but it's also uncomfortable. The truth sets you free, but it is also uncomfortable. And our culture badly needs Christ followers who are willing to put themselves in uncomfortable situations so that they can help areas in need. Amen? So if anybody If our world is going to see change, then you and I have to get uncomfortable. But here's the other part of it. If you're going to see change in you, or I'm going to see change in me, then we also have to get uncomfortable. So first, we have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And then second, we have to become comfortable being confronted. Okay? Got to be comfortable being uncomfortable, but then you have to be comfortable being confronted. When I started prepping this message, I started asking myself, who am I in this sermon? Am I Peter and John or am I the beggar? I was asking about you guys. Am I, am I talking to a bunch of Peter and John's? Or am I talking to, to beggars? Because that's important, right? You, you know, a Peter and John is more about, you know, helping those around you, while a beggar is more about helping inside of you. And so I kept going back and forth. Which one is it? Am I Peter and John and, and they're beggars? Am I a beggar and they Peter and John? I kept going back and forth. And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit tell me. You're both. Because there's moments in my life where I'm Peter and John and I'm helping somebody else. And then there's moments in my life where I'm the beggar and I need help. So watch this. For the Peter and John in you, you have to become comfortable being uncomfortable because the people who are going to need your help, the, the areas around you in your culture that need your help, it's not going to be comfortable. So for the Peter and John in you, for you to share the gospel, it's uncomfortable. For you to serve, it's uncomfortable. For you to give, it's uncomfortable. The Peter and John in you has to become comfortable being uncomfortable. But for the beggar in you, the beggar in you has to become comfortable being confronted. And this is why it was so important for Peter and John to look at this man and then say, look at me. Now there's a verse in Acts chapter three, verse two, a couple of words that sent me down a thought process and this is how I want to close this message with you. It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day. Every day. Now, we don't have you know, um, concrete information on when this happened, but let's, let's just kind of do a little bit of investigating ourselves right here. We know this was after the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was 50 days after Christ's resurrection. So up to this point, we know at least, at least it's 51 days after Jesus Christ is resurrected from the grave. Probably more. But at least 51 days since he resurrected from the grave. Also, Christ was serving, or Christ was uh, walking around doing ministries, or ministry for three and a half years. So now you're over, watch this, over four years that this man could have said to the people who were carrying him, hey, can you take me to Jesus? Right? It's happened before. Remember the story in the Bible where the man got carried by his friends, Jesus was teaching, and tore a hole in the roof, and they lowered him down to Jesus? It's not foreign for somebody who's lame to say, hey, do you mind taking me to Jesus? So for three and a half years, now you could say, well, at first Christ wasn't really doing anything, you know, crazy, miraculous, probably took time for, you know, his, the attention of him to get around. Okay, let's just say two years. Two years that he was alive doing ministry—that this man could have said, you know—they could have came and picked him up. Where are we going? You know where we're going. Take you to the temple. Hey, I know it's Thursday, and I and I know that like I get a lot of money on Thursdays. You know what I mean? But is it possible that today? Don't take me back to the temple tomorrow. But today, could you take me to this guy that everybody's talking about, named Jesus? I, they say he does miracles. All right, maybe he won that bold. Christ dies, and he resurrects from the grave. He would have heard about that. Could you imagine him being carried? Where are we going? We're going back to the temple. Wait a minute. Didn't the guy who was doing all the miracles die and resurrect from the grave? Yeah, he did. Surely he can heal me. Let's go find him, Right? I kept wrestling with that all week. Like, why was there never a point? Why was there just never this moment where he just said, hey, just today, just today, instead of taking me to the temple where I'm comfortable because I've been going there all my life, And I've got my little spot. You know know what it's like to go to church and you got your seat. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, I got my little spot right here in front of the temple. Everybody knows it's mine. And I go there and I sit and I've been doing it for years, years, tens, twenties, years people have come by and I get money. Wouldn't it have been interesting if he would have said just today, just today, Carry me to wherever Jesus is. And then I realized what was going on. He was asking for change, but what he really wanted was comfort. You know what I mean? Like He's begging for change, but his actions proved that what he really wanted was comfort. Because he could get what he wanted which was comfort, without having to face any discomfort, which would have been confrontation. Right? He can go sit before this gate every day, and he doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. He can do this the whole time. Money, please. He can see the little feet walking. Money, please. Money, please. And it's super comfortable. People probably know him by now. You know what I mean? It's like, Hey, there goes Ted. <laughs> What's up, Ted? You know what I mean? People know him now. He's been here forever. And instead of actually wanting to be taken somewhere where change can actually happen, he just preferred to sit right here and remain comfortable. Can I tell you what I'm learning about Jesus is that the proof of God's presence is not found in comfort, it's found in confrontation. He said, what are you talking about? Well, let's, let's break this down a little bit. Matthew is out fishing. He's not catching anything. I'm sorry, Peter's out fishing. He's not catching anything. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, put your net on the other side. And Peter says, you don't know what you're talking about, but I'll do it anyway. So he does it. He pulls in this massive catch of fish. His boat starts to sink. And then the Bible says that he then hits his knees in front of Jesus and says, depart from me, uh, teacher, for I am a sinful man. What happened there? The presence of God brought confrontation. And the dysfunction that was in him, once he knew it was the presence of God, once he knew it was the Messiah, once he knew it was Jesus, the dysfunction in him had to come out. Jesus didn't comfort him. The presence of Jesus confronted him. There was this one time Jesus is a guest speaker at this church and the Bible says that he's preaching and there was a man in the audience who had been going to that church for years and he says, as soon as Jesus started to preach, the man had been demon-possessed for years. Now, before you freak out about demons, in the Bible in that day, they, caused, they said everything was a demon. If you had a runny nose, you had a demon. If you had, you know, whatever, you had a demon. So, Now, there are real demons, but I don't, I'm, I'm just saying, chill out for a second. So, so the man's in the audience, and, he, and he's demon-possessed, and the Bible says he freaks out. This guy had been going to that church for years. Sitting in that seat, not being convicted, not being confronted, everybody walking. Don't mess with Billy. Billy's a little crazy. But we just, he's in my seat. You talk to him. No, you talk to him. His head spins all the way. I'm not talking to him. Remaining comfortable. Jesus gets up and starts to speak. And the presence of God causes that man to convulse, the Bible says. Because the evidence of the presence of God is confrontation. It's why when you come into a place like this, something in you starts to want to change things about yourself because it's the presence of God. He's not condemning. He's convicting. It's his confrontation, right? It's just But we all want to be comfortable. But Jesus would get around demon-possessed people, and the demons would go, we know why you're here. One time he got around this demon-possessed guy, and the demons said this, can we just stay here? That was the first thing they said to him because they knew that the moment they got around his presence, something was gonna have to go. And so they were like, can we, can we just stay here? And Jesus says, no, dysfunction cannot stay when I'm here. It's gotta go, it's confrontation. But if we were honest, like the beggar, we like to beg for change. Oh, I sure wish things would change. Man, did you see the news? I wish things would change. Man, it's my third marriage. I wish things would change. I wake up every morning, I'm right back in that addiction. I wish things would change. We love to beg for change. But the truth is we want to remain in comfort. So we got comfort foods, comfort friends, and people that tell us, oh, you're fine. We look for a comfortable church, a comfortable religion, and we yearn for a comfortable Jesus. That's not how he operates. Now, the Bible does say that Christ is our comfort. Once he ascended, the Holy Spirit became our comfort. The problem is We're comforting ourselves versus allowing him to be our comfort. You don't get to keep yourself in comfortable positions and then go, well, God's comforting me. The presence of God is supposed to confront and move you into an uncomfortable place, and then he can comfort you the confrontation of the presence of God breaks the dysfunction that's got you chained up. And now after that happens, he's there to comfort you. I was thinking, man, I really got to set y'all up. I got to be able to give this to you in an illustration that you'll never forget. What does it mean for the presence of God to come into my life and to confront my dysfunction and then to comfort me? How can I set it up for you? How can I make it so real to you? And then the Lord gave me the best illustration. How many of you watch First Prince of Bel-Air? Anybody watch First Prince of Bel-Air? go with me. There's an episode where, uh, I'll try my real quick, real quick to brief you in case you haven't, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing with your life? But, um, but, but Uncle Phil, Aunt Viv, uh, they have a son named Carlton, they take in a nephew, Will Smith, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, again, if you can't see, if you haven't seen it, oh my gosh. Um, but there's this episode where Carlton and Will are racially profiled. They're, they're in a car, they're, they're profiled, you know, for, for being black in a white neighborhood in a white car, and they get arrested. They get put in jail. And if you know, anybody know this episode I'm talking about? Such a powerful episode. Uh, Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv come into the jail area, and the second they walk in, Carlton goes, Mommy, because he wants comfort. But what doesn't happen is Aunt Viv does not walk over there and go, Oh, baby, I'm so Sorry. I'm so sorry. Uncle Phil doesn't come in and go, oh, come here, come here. Uncle Phil walks in, and they start confronting the, the officer. And they're like, what do you think you're doing? Who is this? And the, the cop, co- I love this part, the cop goes, uh, excuse me, man, we're real busy. And she's like, oh, we're about to get real busy up in here. And she's taking off her earrings because it, she's confronting the dysfunction. Watch this. She'll comfort her kids later but she has to confront the dysfunction so they can be released from the prison that they're in and then she can comfort them later. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, would rather confront your dysfunction first to get you out of the jail that you're in, and after that, he'll comfort you. But we want him to be all about comfort, and he wants to confront the wrong that's in us, the wrong that's around us, and if we will confront it, I guarantee you, you'll be uncomfortable. But then he comes to comfort. You can't have change without being uncomfortable. And for some reason, our culture has taught us that because we're Christians, we now get to be comfortable. And I'm telling you, that's upside down. You forego your comfort the moment you start to live as and for Christ. But he's so good and he's so great And he's so graceful and he's so merciful and he's so amazing that he says if you're willing to get uncomfortable for my gospel I will comfort you in the process but you got to be willing to get uncomfortable first so there's two ways to respond here number one is for the dysfunction that's happening in you the message of the gospel is supposed to move us to repentance There are supposed to be consistent moments where we say, God, I'm sorry for doing this, behaving like this, and I want to change. And when you're in the presence of God, it confronts that and it reveals it. And then you ask God to help you and it changes and then he comforts you. That's the first reaction is what's going on in you that you need God to change and you need to repent of. And then the response after that is what's happening around you. How can you begin to help those that are in need around you by being uncomfortable and sharing Christ? I say this and I'll close in prayer. uh, In the rest of the book of Acts 3, they start freaking out and praising Peter and John. Man, did you see what Peter and John did? Oh my goodness, so cool. Peter says, whoa, 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 Mm -mm. Don't, don't bring it my way. He says, it was faith in Jesus Christ that did this. Now, there's a reason why he said that, because if they connect the change to Peter and John, watch this, then they give up the responsibility that they have to be uncomfortable for change, because then they can just say, well, change is wherever Peter and John is, (laughs) right? If Peter and John are here, oh, things can't change. But Peter said, no, it's about your faith. And he puts it right back in our lap and says, hey, if you want to see real change in you and around you, It starts with your faith in Jesus Christ and your faith in Jesus Christ moves him into a place where he can confront your dysfunction and you will become uncomfortable. But if you will allow him to do the work, the Holy Spirit will comfort you during the work and you will see miracles happen in your life. Amen. Close your eyes for a moment. Father, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for myself. The gospel is to move us to a place of repentance. And so I pray right now the Holy Spirit, and only the way the Holy Spirit could do, could just start revealing to us areas in our life that are dysfunctional. Come on, just begin to reveal them, Lord. We know what they are. We knew what they were when we came in. And it's uncomfortable to talk about it's uncomfortable to bring attention to. It's uncomfortable to be confronted with. But Father, until we allow you to confront it, you can't change it. If you're in this place and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to start there. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior and you'll be saved. If you're in here and you are saved, You need to make repentance a a normal process for you. Every day, let's repent every day. Father, I'm growing. Today I need forgiveness for this. Tomorrow I need forgiveness for that. It's a consistent opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to point out dysfunctions in me so that I can change. And then, Father, as we're changing, as the beggar in us is changing, I pray that we would also become more vocal more focused on what's happening around us. That, Father, when we see a coworker that doesn't know you, we'd step out and get uncomfortable so that we could share the gospel. Father, when we see a friend who's falling off, we'd step out and get uncomfortable and confront that. When we see a neighbor being hated, we'd step out and we'd confront it, Father. That there'd be change happening in us and change also happening around us because we are okay to be uncomfortable. We are okay for the Holy Spirit to bring confrontation, and we want to change through the presence of you, Jesus. Hey, look at me real quick. Look at me real quick. I want to say this, and then I'll pray and leave. Confrontation, conviction, has been taught to the church as if it's a negative thing. So what churches will do, and I apologize for churches, is they'll tone it down so that you don't feel convicted. Again, the problem is if you don't feel conviction, you'll never change. Meanwhile, you go home and wonder why your life's not as fulfilled as Christ said it would be. But I want you to understand that conviction has gotten a bad rep. That the feeling you have right now of like, man, yeah, I want... If you're not careful, the enemy will move it into shame. Don't let it turn into shame. It's conviction. It's not condemnation. Conviction is your parent loving you and saying, hey, we need to change this. Not telling you that you're a bad person. And here's, the, here's what I want to tell you. Ready? You ready? Here's what I want to tell We have to get to a place where conviction is no longer about how bad we are, but how free we could be. So good. So good. That's what it is. It's not about how bad you are. It's not about how bad I am. It's about how free we can be. If we just say, Jesus, bring it, bring it, bring out all the dysfunction in me, get it all out. I'll be as uncomfortable as it takes, get it all out because I want to glorify you. I want to pour my life out for your glory. Let's move in that direction of people who say, Bring it on, God, make me better make me better. Make me better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I had a friend growing up. His famous saying was, he's working on me. I love that. When you mess up, don't get condemned. He's working on you, but also be convicted and say, come on, keep working. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word. So thankful that it's alive and that it's shaping us and pruning us. I pray that every one of us walk out of this place. For those who've never received you as your Savior, I pray they would receive you as their Savior. For those who haven't repented, for those who know they've been dealing with something, they would just lay before you and just say, Father, take it away. Change me, work me, confront, move in me. Continue to help us to be better so that we can change the world around us. We love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,